Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life. Today's episode 711. And today I'm blessed with the guest, a spectacular guest that I've known for several years, who is a wonderful person to talk about the ultimate life. And we're going to talk about that for a little while today. And as you know, we've recently shifted to longer format. So this is going to be a little longer today. Delighted to have Gary Mahler with us. Gary, welcome to the show. Helen, thank you so much. What a pleasure to be with you. It's It's been wonderful chatting before we were taping, rolling, and to just see your beautiful visage and open-hearted smile. So thank you so much. You're just welcome. And I was thrilled when you said yes. I asked my gal to go out and find some folks and gave her some names, and yours was one of them. And when I saw you on the calendar, my heart was warm. So thank you for being here. Um, so one of the things I always want to do is I, I've defined uh, the ultimate life as a life of purpose, prosperity and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. And that's how I define it. But I always like to ask the guests as kind of a starting point for conversation. How would you define your ultimate life? For me, my ultimate life is realizing that I have sovereign choice. The sovereign choice that I have in every day. And for me, the ultimate life is, as I mentioned earlier, the idea that divine is in the mundane. I find beauty in waking up, making my wife a pour over gently waking my children up from sleep when they're still sleepy, find joy in giving my son a hug, walking to school, helping my wife. And that's for me, that simple aspect of life, to fully savor every bit of life. And we spoke earlier about adventure and the big adventures you and I are on, which are beautiful. They're exciting. And there's something in that excitement coupled with appreciating every moment. There are no in-between moments, every moment to be alive in that moment and fully participate in what's happening, embody that moment. That's the ultimate for me. I love a couple of things. One is that participation in every moment. And one thing our viewers are going to notice, or the viewers and listeners, uh, eventually this gets up on YouTube. It's later. The audio is going to go up a lot sooner because my YouTube production is slower. But anyway, something that you're going to notice right away is Kellen talks faster than Gary. Gary talks slow. And I love that about Gary. 
And it's just one of the endearing things that he has. So don't be uh, put off by the fact that I talk fast and Gary talks slow and thinks about and deliciously participates in every word. One of the things you said that I really loved is that the mundane and the connection between the mundane and the divine and participating in each moment. So I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that participation. You gave some examples, walking the kids. So you said a kilometer and a half, which for those of you in the other universe, that's about a mile. So walking a mile to school or a kilometer and a half and, and, you know, choosing to do that. And you mentioned sitting with your kid at piano and it's fun for me to hear just because I taught piano from 17 to 57, probably about 40 years off and on. And so I, I understand that. Uh, talk a little bit more about that, because having, being, doing, there's so much of rushing, you know, hurry up everywhere and anywhere. And what you're describing is the opposite of that. And in fact, unloading the present from all that hurry upness. So talk a little bit more about that, if you would, please. Um, I call it living at the speed of life. So everyone thinks life is very fast, and I don't. I think we make it that way with our sense of urgency, our sense of things needing to happen for us to be happy, our sense of needing to control what is going on. And I choose creation from surrender, acceptance, and allowance. I choose creation from stopping and thinking what is it that I really want, not what I think I want or what I'm told I should want. Everyone's talking about six figures, seven figures that we need to do this. I want this in order to get this. I will do this. And I got a simple adage in how I live my life. I don't do what I don't want to do. Even if it gets me what I want, I only do what I want to do, how I want to do it. And it, always gets me what I want. So please don't be misled that by slowing down, I don't do anything. What I actually do is compress time. And in that time compression, what I do with minimal effort, but maximum supply from the almighty, the all powerful, capital IT, it, God, the universe is beyond what I could do as Gary, the individual. I don't need to do very much. All I do is connect with that. And I've got a belief, and I can't prove it, Kellen. I can't prove this, but it's my experience. When I connect what it wants, and I am connected to it, what we both want becomes like this together. I got the full weight of the universe behind me. Uh, it, it reminds me uh, totally. Totally, 100% agree. And I like the way you said that. I, um, I, I only do what I want. <laughs> and I don't do what I don't want, even if it gets me what I want, because when I do what I want, I always get what I want. I love that. And it is true. I don't love it just because it sounds cool. I love it because it's true. And the connection of that, the divine and the unification of desire is, uh, is an important eternal principle. And yes, you prove it in every thought and demonstration. And there's a difference between knowing something is completely true because you see it and you experience and trying to convince someone else like people do when they're trying to say it's true. Therefore, you should experience or believe this thing. 
there was a big construction project near not where I am now, but where we were before they're putting LRT in not too far. And so in that process, all this machinery and moving piles of dirt and all this stuff everywhere. And one day I was out for my morning meditations, walks, sometimes an hour or two, whatever. And I saw these piles of dirt and I don't know if you, you know what a D nine D nine caterpillar is. I'm pretty D- sure it's something large. It's the biggest one. It's like the big one, right? I call it the D nine. Anyway. So I was meditating and thinking, you know, when we have a big, exciting or big project to do, and we think about what we bring, it's always feels like we bring a teaspoon to move this mountain with our own individual skills. And then what occurred to me is what we're really bringing is a key. And when we connect, we bring a key and the universe brings the D nine to move the mountain, which is what you just said. And I thought, I, I remember thinking that and there was one sitting there, right? They're the ones that wheels are tall, twice as tall as we are those. And I thought, yeah, yeah. The universe has the D nine and we just have to bring the key. So that's a spectacular description. You've made a choice to move overseas for a year. That's a thing that just created from a desire you talked about eight years ago. Tell me a little bit more about that in terms of this creation of big from a small spark. Prior to COVID, we would go to Japan. My wife is Japanese for six weeks, usually in the autumn. It's a bit cooler. It's, a, it's still warm. It's like summer in Vancouver, but it's autumn there. And we would put our kids into Japanese school, preschool, kindergarten. I think the last one my son went to before COVID was grade one. And we had the idea that at some point before they got too old, that we'd love to live in Japan for a year so that they could fully immerse in that education system, fully immerse in that culture, more than six weeks out of a year. And we thought we would do it in the early 20s, 2021, 2022, 2023. And then something came up that it became available to us. And within seconds of my wife reminding me, based on some other things going on in our life, that maybe this is something we'd want to do. And as soon as she said it, we knew it. And we began and pretty much in the saying it and then knowing that it was right, kind of the sea parted, if you will. Things occurred. We just knew what to do. And there's a lot of things that we would have to do to prepare. A lot of mundane things we'd have to renew the kids' Japanese passports, which had expired. We would have to create a year-long spousal visa so I could get into Japan. I think it's opening up to tourists next month, but still, we want to have that available to us. Where are we going to live in Tokyo? What are we going to do? So many logistics, and it's been a positive adventure. Every one of those things to prepare ourselves for heading back to Japan and living there. And we have the tickets for August. They'll fly out ahead of me and then I'll fly out after that. 
we will be staying with my in-laws for about a month and a half, perhaps two. And then my wife are going to, wife and I are going to go to Tokyo and find our home. And it's going to be a beautiful home for a year in an area we want to live. And I don't know where that is. I've got an idea where it is in Tokyo, but I don't know where the home is. I don't know anything, but this is the fun. Like we don't know. I live in the mystery I create from the unknown. I'm forever at play. So one of the things that people might think if they hear you describe things that way and is that automatically ease and flow are how it always is and was. And we, we have to learn in the course of our experience here in this plane, how to come to that place. And so the way I describe this is to live that ultimate life where you create the mystery and live in that question and unknowing that didn't happen automatically and it didn't, wasn't always so. So people always wonder, okay, what were the hard things? What struggles were there? Because it's easy for people to say, oh yeah, that's fine. You can do that, but I could never, whatever. Right. And so talk a little bit about what you did to create this ultimate life that you live as you have described it. It's really funny. I didn't really do a lot in the spiritual realm. In year 2000, I went to Japan and I visit, visited a place called the Todaiji, which is the largest wooden structure, I believe, in the world. And apparently there was a Buddha inside of there. And I wasn't really into Buddhas, but I just, you go, it's in Nara, Japan. So you go and take a look at it. And as soon as I walk into that place, it's humid outside and it's cool inside. I feel this cool breeze and I see this Buddha. And I'm like, oh my God, this visage, this face, I want that. I want that equanimity. I want that. I want, I'm tired of being nice when things are going my way and being a dick when they're not. I'm tired of being always at war within myself. And it was just that simple. I want that, which led to small steps of getting some books about meditation, not understanding a thing, them telling me to count to 10 and come back. I would fall asleep at two. And I was like, but I just had some idea. And I followed the breadcrumbs or what was in front of me to the next step, which led me to listening to a podcast where Oprah a few years later was um, doing a 10-part series with Eckhart Tolle, which really impacted me, the series about a new earth, which then had me listen to two um, episodes where Oprah was talking to a fellow named John Kabat-Zinn, who became one of my favorite heroes. And all I did was listen to these things and just have an idea that with John Kabat-Zinn, if I follow the breath, I always can be at home where I am. I cannot not be at home if I'm in the breath. It brings me to the present moment. So in all honesty, I've spent seven or nine days with John Kabat-Zinn and Saki Santorelli learning mindfulness-based stress reduction. So you could say that's a lot. It, it was interesting. It was, but I can't say, you know, I mean, I spent days meditating there, but it's not like I did a lifetime of it. 
I did a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat. And I did Byron Katie's nine-day school of the work. So those would be three big things that I could say, but it was my practice from, let's say, 2005-ish till now of just following the breath and just realizing that in the simplest form, my meditation is this. Pay attention to what's going on. Don't label it, judge it, don't do anything. So that's the extent of what got me to this is a daily experience of what's going on in here and here. How am I relating with this? How am I relating with you? How am I relating with the world? And when things get funky, come back to my breath. Simple, and not simple, but if I can do this without having a Zafu, a set meditation time or anything, anybody can get to this place. All I do is get out of my head and out of my silly ideas about the way life should be, the way you should be, the way the world should be, get out of my judgment, get out of my things that are getting me in the way of pure connection with myself and the world. And I use the breath constantly, create myself constantly. And I just have an idea that if I allow what's happening and I don't rail against it, I have a lot more energy and I call it a hundred percent material to work with. Whatever's occurring, I can work with everything. I don't have to like it, but I'm not fighting it. If you're not fighting it, you've got a gentle touch with things. That gives me unlimited power. And I've got pure connection to that all powerful. I create what it wants. It's uh, again, you've said something that I, I have a practice that I do every day too. And I've talked about that in other episodes and often in the meditation and prayer that I, I seek direction. So part of my statements is those long pages is um, preparing. And it says every day I commit to mindful preparation for the purpose and mission I have declared. Therefore, without fail, I pray meaningfully, which is one of the things and often when I do that, and part of it's listen for inspiration and answers, blah, blah, blah. So often the answer is do what's in front of you. Just that's it. Do what's in front of you. And so I have some complex thing or imagine some complex thing. And, you know, you're not seeing and how it connects to whatever, whatever. And so it's, it's enough now that's just funny, you know, do what's in front of you. Like, like I could do anything else anyway, right? I could worry about something else. I can do a dance around whatever it is. I can be mad at what's in front of me. I can wish it was something else. I can do all this other crap. And the answer is always, well, just do what's in front of you. You know, and so when you said, follow the breath, follow the breadcrumbs, I smiled when you said Cabot's in because the first five books that I wrote many years ago was a five volume series on meditation about my own practice, about how to do it because I wanted to. And in the in the preparation for that, I read a zillion books besides my own practice. And Cabot's in was uh, one of many authors whose stuff I read in in preparation for all that work. And so when you said that, I ring that and i i want to emphasize the simplicity it is not easy but it is simple the practice of making a choice to do 
what's in front of you. Follow the breath. It is with you always. All of those trite and hackneyed phrases are whatever they are, but they are true. As long as you make it your practiced experience, it's live it versus know it. I choose to always live whatever I say. I will live it. And in the living it, it becomes part of my DNA. It becomes part of me. It's very important for me. Whatever I say, if I inhabit what I am saying, if I actually live what I am saying, I don't have too many things to remember. I've got a divine connection to something that I've just experienced it. So it's easy to just say, man, when I'm feeling in my head or my brow is getting heavy or my shoulders are heavy, it's a sign and I can just fill that in and come back to my senses, come back to my body instead of my mind in some imaginary, horrible situation that I'm making up that may or may not be true or may or may not come true, and I can come back. And this is just a practice that I have cultivated, create my day in the morning, who am I? I am infinite stillness, born of ease and flow. I am pure connection to the all-powerful, and I create what it wants. I'm generous and warm-hearted. I inhabit a life of freedom, playfully and patiently. I am love, coming from love. I am forgiveness and understanding, especially to myself. And when I am that, I can be to my wife and kids. And that is the first stanza of who I am. I, as soon as I wake up, it's the first thing that comes to mind. As soon as I go to sleep, it's the first thing that I say before I fall asleep. Throughout the day, there is something in who I am that comes up. I am unleashed. I am calm yet impactful as a velvet bullet. I am the sunlit wave that washes over your broken heart. The one that seeks soothing, healing, and cooling. I am the eternal wave that crashes or breaks over your yearning heart and has you become alive. Whether or not I am that or not to anyone else, I manifest that in my thoughts. This is what I live into each day, that's a created life. And in it is creating the ultimate. Well, and everybody has their own definition of it, and that's fine. But as you describe it, one of the key things for me that I want to make sure the listeners key to is it is an intentional act of creation. So you talked about you, you have a, a set of words and you embody those words and you allow those words to be the creative source. You embody them until they become or are you or start with words. It doesn't matter. It's a cycle. But that creation process is intentional. And so often I was just talking to someone earlier today and we're talking about the process of creating that kind of uh, set of words, whether it's a document or a, it is an awareness and a choice of who you're being. And you know, it's not 
Uh, what it isn't is a trivial collection of sayings. What it is more, it's a choice that you make about who you choose to be and whether it's perfect or not to start with has nothing to do with anything. It is a choice to be that. And as we work to further embody those things a little more, a little faster without, and this is where that whole judgment dance comes in. Oh, I didn't this and I didn't that. All that does is create a bunch of negative energy. It's why I wrote that book, Forgiveness, that I mentioned before. And you just said that because forgiveness is an energetic choice to no longer allow events of the past to have energy in the present. And it doesn't matter if you, somebody did something to you or you did something to somebody. And that was such a stumbling block for me because of all the rowdy stuff in my life. I felt so bad and guilty about everything I had quote ruined that it was a, it was an albatross I carried for a long time. And the only effect of the albatross was I was unable to do anything useful and good until I dumped the, dumped the energy. Beautifully put every word that I say and who I am, you can bet your bottom dollar. There was a lot of work forgiving the judgment that I had about myself, about the opposite of whatever I say there. So when I say I am free, there's an opposite in there that I did a lot of work throughout any time. And the opposite of free is rejection. So anytime I was rejected, I went through each and every one of those times that I felt rejected. Did forgiveness work? deep work with my coach over three months. And once we routed out that cancer, there was a space that was free that I could create who I was. So everything in there, all the junk that I had is not there anymore. And all that's left is a space to create who I am. And one thing that's really become apparent to me is that we're always, we are always creating with every thought and we don't realize. So a lot of our creation is Oh, do you hear that too? I do. I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to turn off okay. my mic so it's not on my mic. Keep talking. Okay, you got it. The interesting thing is we are always creating, but we're not aware that we're creating. So I want to consciously be creating with whatever thought comes up. And the thoughts or the things that are not powerful I just take, if it's not powerful, instead of dropping it into my awareness and having ripples, I put it aside. I don't need to create with that. So this is really where I come in with this. I, well, I want to emphasize, the uh, underline, agree, emphasize for the listeners, you are creating. So Gary has talked about intentional creation of the work that he did to clear out space of junk that was inhabiting, taking up valuable real estate, impeding the manifestation of the true divine nature of this being and was hoarding a bunch of space. And so all the work that was required to root it out, number one is necessary and two, it creates all this empty space. And then the ongoing work is to understand you do create with every thought, every breath you do. And are the work is to do it on purpose. Because you're going to create accidentally, if, even if you don't want to. You're creating with your inattention. We create with our carelessness and our, I, I, I have a life equation and it's life equals 
haphazard circumstance plus careless inaction plus results. Okay, and I use that as a framework in a book that I'm writing, okay? And we all believe that the HC, haphazard circumstance, is this great big term. So I write the equation three ways, and one's really tall, right? And careless inaction is CI is really small, and then results is really small. And the truth is, life, the haphazard circumstance is actually small, and because it happens to everybody, it's like a term in physics where they just sort of ignore it. Right. You can ignore that like it's a constant. Right. So you throw that out. And the careless inaction is the one that's really big. Right. Careless inaction. And then the results is small. And so you end up with a life that is haphazard circumstance where you're angry and frustrated at this thing. It's actually the same roughly for everybody. This gigantic term of careless inaction, which you choose to ignore. And then the results are small. And when the real thing can be haphazard circumstance, tiny, careless inaction, tiny and results big. And that's the way you create life. And so I use that as a life equation to teach in a book. It's another book that I haven't written yet. It's called failure, the art and science of challenging boundaries. Brilliant. And the framework is that life equation of HC plus CI plus results. And that careless in action is where you're talking about. We're creating all the time. And so rather than have a, have a turd in your punch bowl, you put it over there. I'm not having this. I just don't interact with nonsense that I come up with. And I'm really prolific at a lot of nonsense. So the more that I don't play with my nonsense, and I spent time creating myself, blessing other people, loving unconditionally, loving myself unconditionally, loving the senses that come up when my kids are fighting and I need to do something and it's annoying, breathing through that and then getting into some kind of a way of being with them that's playful and I can pull them away from their fighting and get into playing with them. And even sometimes if they drive me bananas and I snap, I can come back and say, you know, I am sorry. My kid has this funny thing. I went to take him to see my coach. So I'm coached by Steve Hardison. When he was five, I brought him to see Steve because my son was rambunctious, like crazy, driving my wife crazy. And after 15 minutes of being on the floor with Steve, he goes, Cohen's not the problem, you are. So then Cohen went to see Amy, his wife, and they did some fun things together. And we worked for two hours on me and how I could be different. So my son tells me, he remembers at five, where I was not as calm as I am now with him. He goes, I love it. I love your work with Steve because you're just kind to me and nice to me. You don't get angry. And I said, how often was I angry? He goes once a day. I don't believe it was once a day. But <laughs> and he remembers specifics. Do you remember that time we were at my friend Alan's house and I took his toy and he almost fell off the balcony and you scolded me? That was not cool, daddy. And I'm like, wow, that was like you were four. You remember that? He's got like a checklist, like Santa. But why I'm saying this is, he is so happy because in my work, he knows that I go and fly to see my coach so that I can be more loving and inhabit the things that I say. To me, that, that's an ultimate life. That my kid can say, I'm so happy that you choose to do this because you relate to me in this way that I really love. 
And I love you for doing that. And that's out of a nine-year-old's mouth. That's everything. It is everything. Um, this has been spectacular. And as it always does, even though we're longer than we used to be, we, we're, at, we're at a half an hour. Um, I want to give people the opportunity to find you a little bit. So if someone wants to, or a lot, if someone wants to find you, to learn more about you, to talk to you, or to do any of that stuff, what's the best way to do it? Uh, you can see about me at my website, GaryMoller.com. And if you want to talk to me, the easiest way is just restart at GaryMoller.com. And if you are so inclined, just type in Gary Mahler, Vancouver in Facebook, and you'll see me there. Instagram is Gary M five zero five, no five small O five, not a zero. And you'll be completely bored. If you go to my Instagram and Facebook, you will be, you'll die of boredom. All it is is my kids and me and a bit of my, you know, adventures but it's not for professional development or trying to get people to do something. But if you want to see what my life's like, the Instagram stories are pretty fun that I post. They go on Facebook too. I can test that, attest to that because I see them periodically. <laughs> awesome, All right. So thank you, Gary, for being part of us. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for breathing life into this episode for bringing the truth of limitless and intentional creation to our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your mission into serving 10 million. Is it, is that what we're going to 2022? We're going to help 10 million people discover, develop and serve with their divine gifts. Well, thank you for having the idea that I might be someone you'd want to have and that I could be a part of this. I'm all in for that 10 million. And really, thank you for following your heart to just knowing who to be and how to be for the world. So thank you. I love it. Thank you. And uh, all right. So everybody, I want you to listen to this a couple of times. I know this is longer than we used to do, but I don't care. It's good. It's worth it. And the answer is it is simple. It is simple. It's not easy. It takes work, cleaning out the junk and doing all the rest. But you have the capacity here now, this moment, to grab what is good for you, to learn to intentionally create, and from that, build your ultimate life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is your ultimate life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.